1: Um, This is an exciting time for us, Um, excited about the the people, um, the players that James has uh, asked to partner with us, Uh, the integrity, uh, the work, the history, the experience that they all bring, uh, coupled with uh, people who have stayed, and um, that is a a huge thing for us going forward. We are a first-class organization. (laughs) Um, it starts with our people, and I can't be, uh, can't say it enough. How excited I am about the challenge—not uh, just this season, but going forward.
2: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. It's almost basketball time. I'm getting, I'm starting to actually get excited and feel excited about what's coming up. <laughs> and uh, to actually talk about that, we have a great guest today. Once again, I'm your host, Mike Hill With me, of course, is Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you
3: doing? I'm doing well, Mike. I think we're going to talk ourselves into a lot of stuff on today's episode based on a uh, media so. day. And unfortunately, we're a little bit late to the game uh, versus some other Suns podcasts. So hopefully you guys listening at home aren't tired of media day analysis because we're going to rehash a lot of the same stuff right now. But uh, yeah, we definitely have a great guest joining us for this one.
2: Yes. Even more than media day, really, because we have joining us live from Flagstaff, Arizona, on top of a mountain is Kellen Olson. (laughs) Kellen, how are you doing?
1: Dude, it is on top of a mountain. You drive up a couple hills, and, and I have I have a car with like 130 thousand miles on it, so it's fine. It's but like there's a couple of times you're going up the mountain, and you're like, oh <laughs> boy, is this it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really
2: is crazy. It's al- It's almost scarier to come down because I-, I feel like every time I drive to Flagstaff, the drive up is fine, but the drive down, I feel like I see cars overturned, cars on fire. Uh, there's always some weird problem with vehicles on my way back down the mountain. So be safe. Are you there all week, Kellen?
1: Yeah, uh driving back Friday, very... Ex- I'm glad you mentioned that because driving back at night is like the worst thing. If you're listening and you've never been to Flagstaff before, make sure you're driving back during the day, because it is not a fun drive at night, like you said.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Flag, Flagstaff is really nice. It's actually, I think, a relatively nice time of year to be there. So thank you for joining us while you're there. And we're happy you're you're joining us, of course, to talk about Media Day, but also training camp um, and and also everything else that we're going to talk about, of course. And I think the first question is obvious. Uh, what did you think of the new orange jerseys?
1: I was reserving judgment until they were on the court. I thought they did not look so hot when we got the pictures in. I think I, I had the same reaction everyone else did where it just looked like, to me, it looked like jerseys you make on 2K. Now, you can make <laughs> some good-looking jerseys on 2K. Yeah, But just the, the basic, here is the logo in this, it just seems in a weird way, and here's the numbers. But I think the back looks really cool. I think the white on the white, numbers and the text on the orange looks really cool. Uh, And then in person, they looked better. And I think they're going to look even better on the court. So I actually like them. And I tweeted this like kind of jokingly, but not really that like Ubre said he likes them. So your opinion doesn't really matter on that. Wouldn't you believe it? (laughs) People got pissed that I told them they were wrong. And it doesn't matter if they think they're right or not. Like people took Jersey opinion seriously, which if you're listening and you don't agree, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just Jersey fun. We can all be right.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm coming around on him a little bit. I, I just refuse. Here's one thing I will say for the Suns, and I know there's probably nobody that works for the Suns listening, but if anyone is, my one thing I will say is never release – A jersey without the first photo of it being on a player. I always feel like the jerseys look worse on a mannequin than on a player, regardless of how great the jersey looks. it just there's something about seeing it on just like a lifeless piece of plastic that makes it look worse than it looks when say say somebody that we actually enjoy is wearing it like Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton or Kelly Oubre. So if you can avoid that in any way and the first photo, the first actual promotional photo of a jersey can be with a player inside of it. That's the best way to do it, I would say but you're at training camp so we'll skip over all of that let's first talk we'll get into the media day stuff later and I think there's a lot to get into when it comes to media day but let's start with training camp you just uh, attended your very first day of training camp I saw your first article that you wrote about Ricky Rubio and Ty Jerome it sounds like you're working on something about Aaron Baines right now Uh, what did you think what was your first impression from training camp
1: uh, to be honest, the first day of training camp always sucks because it's usually a day or two after media day and we just talked to literally everyone. So it, it, and the thing about the first day is it's a lot of, especially with a first year head coach, it's a lot of learning terminology. Here are our sets. Here's where you're going to go on these. And when we walked in for the last like 15 minutes, it was walkthroughs and then it was like a free throw competition at really the end and just encouraging guys to root each other on. So there wasn't <laughs> really anything to take away from it. Uh, it's just more about the first couple of days of training camp and then media day is just about finding like the little nuggets uh here and there. I think I've heard Ty Jerome's name a lot in the past couple of days. And that's just mm. something that stands out to me because I don't know where you guys stood uh after the draft and then just the next couple of months kind of reacting, but I just wasn't sure where he was going to play. And it sounds like at least he is proving himself. Now no one's coming out and saying he's the backup point guard. He's going to play or anything, but from The amount of times I've heard his name the past 48 hours, I would guess that he's at least making it a difficult decision for them on whether to play him or not right away. Because just everything from how quick he's picking everything up to how poised he is on the court right away, it sounds like he's fitting right in right away.
3: Yeah, from all the coverage I've seen, I think I would pinpoint him as the guy whose stock is up uh, most on the roster. One thing that I thought was really interesting at media day is Monty Williams was kind of going over the roster um, and when he got to talking about Tyler Johnson, he referred to him as having the ability. And I think you tweeted this as well, Kellen, uh, to play some point, but didn't refer to him as a pure point guard like he kind of has been throughout his career in the past. He mentioned him playing point only after he had already mentioned Ty Jerome um, and Javon Carter. So that points to this idea that we go into the season, the Suns don't have a backup shooting guard that we know of maybe Tyler Johnson is going to fill that slot being that backup shooting guard, which creates space that we previously didn't see uh, for Ty Jerome to step in kind of as the de facto uh, backup point guard, as long as he can beat out those other guys, if he can beat out Javon Carter, if he can beat out Elliot Cobo. And now with all that you're hearing about him, this first day of training camp as well, in addition to media day, Ty Jerome might actually play minutes uh, immediately going into the season. He might play a lot more minutes than fellow rookie Cam Johnson.
1: It's it's interesting too because he is playing technically from what we think behind Tyler Johnson and Ricky Rubio. It just seems like a really hard place for him to find minutes, and that's that was my um, case against him, especially knowing they signed Rubio because it was like okay, like where do you actually find minutes for this guy? But it sounds like you like you said Ty playing as a two. Uh, Tyler, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm used to calling people Tyler Ty and there's an actual tie into Tyler. It's gonna be, <laughs> I've been doing it a lot lately. I have to get it out of my system. Um, but I think there's going to be the balance there. And I, and I think the the mantra that Monty and James Jones were letting off was we want players who can be coached, who are going to work hard, who have good habits, who have winning habits and yada, 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 cliche, cliche, cliche. cliche. But that's actually what they want. And what they're saying that they targeted and you can see it with a guy like Jerome that he's going to be able to find his way on the court. If he's doing those things, because if he's messing up a rotation here and there, or he's making rookie mistakes, as long as he's playing the way that they want him to play um, the smart type of basketball that he is, that that was a bad example. More so if he shoots like one of nine from the field, you know what I'm saying? But he's playing smart. He's taking the right shots. He's making mm-hmm. the right passes. I think those types of guys are going to get minutes on this team. Like I'm not ruling out Cam playing 15 minutes a night from the jump. I have no idea where those 15 minutes would be found, but I think they're going to find time for their types of guys. And it's clear that, especially with the way the draft unfolded, that those two guys are their types of players.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Kobo ended the season last season with uh, averaging 18.1 minutes per game. Uh, so there's t- there's time that needs to be made up in that spot, and obviously there's a weird there was a weird void last year where guards were trying to fill in in all places, and Kobo ended up starting some games, and there's a weird void. But I tend to believe that guys like Ty Jerome just find ways onto the court. He's a leader for one. He's a winner in college, but also more than any of that, if you can pass and you can shoot, there's time for you. They're, they're going to make time for you. So we it's been a it's been a conversation on this podcast, and I imagine on all the other ones, but. Uh, whether or not there is space for him, a place for him on this team. And I tend to just believe that there is just because uh, just everything that you said. But it sounded like another guy made an impression on you. It's a, it's the other point guard. Obviously, it's Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky Rubio kind of puts off this impression. You talked about it in the article. Make sure everyone go and read it, um, that he's a quiet guy off the court. And he tends to be quiet. He's pretty soft spoken in interviews. And I know English is his second language. So I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, But it sounds like he is a bit more of a vocal leader on the court than people are expecting, or that's been the word in uh, the first day of training camp so far, right?
1: Yeah, it's also just how many times did you guys, we did this a lot in our podcast, how many times did you guys say, man, they're just missing that leader on the court, the guy who knows DeAndre needs to get the ball or Kelly needs to touch the ball or well, Devin had the ball (laughs) all the time, so I guess he didn't need to know when to touch it. But all those... I keep saying cliches because that's just what we're th- we're at the stage of the season. But Ricky has every single point guard trait of a pure point guard. And so him just being a natural leader by default, the example I used with Brendan Clean earlier is, you know how NFL quarterbacks just have this poise about them when they're interviewed or when they like appear in a commercial or whatever. These guys have been the man on campus for like three or four years in college, and then they go on to be the man in their NFL city or whatever. And he's kind of got that point guard kind of thing to him. When everyone comes into work, he's going to be the guy yelling at you and making sure DeAndre is is motivated enough or, or whatever it may be that he needs to do in order to get the most out of his guys. It's just very natural for him, it seems like. This is, of course, based off what everyone says, so we're going to see how it translates into the season. But I think it's kind of clear watching him and, and seeing how other players are going to be able to benefit from him, not just because of the way that he plays, but because of the way that he's going to Lead to. I feel really icky kind of talking about all this sort of stuff, but this is the direction the team is headed in, at least. And it doesn't it kind of feel weird that we're establishing these kind of things, though? It didn't even feel like there was a, a culture, quote unquote, or just these types of habits present like a year or two ago. And we're actually talking about these things, right? Yeah.
3: Well, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's manifested itself in other ways that monty Williams talks about other players. I mean, I think one of the most interesting responses we got yesterday at Media Day was, um, I don't remember who it was who asked the question, but asked a question about what sort of leadership does Monty expect out of DeAndre Ayton, And it was one of his lines of the day, right? Monty said, DeAndre is what? 17 years old. I don't expect leadership out of this guy in his second season. And I think it's, it's created an interesting contrast because on the one hand, DeAndre is your starting center and and kind of from a basketball perspective, you need some level of defensive leadership. If you're going to be a starting caliber center at the NBA level, you need to talk. uh, You need to communicate with your guys uh, because you're the last line of defense. But in terms of just having experiences that NBA veterans who have played playoff games, who have won uh, close games, uh, DeAndre obviously doesn't have that experience. And it's kind of absurd that we've raise the bar for young players uh, over the past few years on this team to expect that level of veteran leadership out of guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden. Monty is now kind of being the guy to say, hey, we have Ricky Rubio. Uh, we have Aaron Baines. We have all these guys who can come in and fill that role. DeAndre just needs to learn. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that was probably the most interesting response from media day for me if I had to pick one. Kellen did Do you have a certain response from yesterday that stands out to you as being this was a a really interesting thing that happened?
1: Uh, I've I've mentioned this in a couple places already, and I think in one of those articles, it's somewhere. But uh, I asked Tyler Johnson about how this team is pretty much set up where there's a certain amount of NBA experience and a certain amount of inexperience at pretty much each position. There's a group at center, there's a group at wing, and then there's a group at guard. So I asked him about the... Fundamental understanding that we have of these guys are practicing against each other, therefore they're going to learn from each other and therefore they're going to get better against each other. And is it really that simple or, or whatever? And he just said that guys can come in and they can be in la la land all year and not learn anything despite them going through these grinding practices, coming up against guys that should be making them better. It just depends on their mindset. And of course, everyone listening and your guys' first reaction is, Oh, Josh Jackson. Oh, Dragon Bender. Oh, Marquise Chris. So Johnson said it's a mix of having the the guys who have that type of mentality to come in and get better, but also having enough guys around that are able to keep people accountable. Johnson kind of ended his answer. And I I asked a follow-up, which was so with Monty, how exactly is that not going to fly with him? Cause he's going to be the type of coach to make sure everyone is on their, on their stuff. Right. But Johnson just said, "I, I don't know, but, I, I just know that we're not going to let that fly if we see it. And there are so many guys on this team that are going to have that mentality. It's going to be Baines. It's going to be Rubio. It's going to be Tyler Johnson. It's going to be Book. And I, I think there's just too many active voices as well as Monty for some of the guys who maybe I don't want to say slacking off, but just not having the right attitude uh, towards the bottom of the totem pole that are going to have these things occur. Yeah, And I think that was the most interesting thing because if that's really the case with what's happening, and all those young guys like Ty, Cam, um, I guess we can even include Devin in there because this is just such a different year for him in terms of expectations. Uh, there's also DeAndre. There's Mikel. I don't think like Mikel is a guy that really needs that assistance. I mean, the guy spent like 80% of the summer in the gym, probably. <laughs> uh, when I saw him after his availability, I was like... So did yeah. you keep to your word and just hang out in the gym? He was like, yeah, like I went home to see family like two weekends, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't worry about Mikkel if you're listening and you're worried about and who's shooting or whatever, like he's going to figure it out. Um, But just knowing that there's that safety blanket of not only the right voices in place, but the right types of players in place that they're looking for that won't have that wrong attitude. That was the thing that stood out to me the most. And what I wrote about on ArizonaSports.com last night, which was, look, I don't know if this is just media day talking and like the glitz and glamour of just overflowing optimism or <laughs> is this actually something real happening? But this is what they're saying. So if something real is happening, this is how and why. But it's just really up to you um, on how you want to interpret. It's not one of those quotes, you know, where there's a right or a wrong answer, or a right or a ro- wrong way to interpret it. It's just up to you on how you want to interpret it. And for me, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I just want to see the games first. But if we see real change happening and this team wins 30 plus games next year, we know why. And we heard from them why in the first two days here,
2: I think that over time and covering this team. And as you know, no matter what happened, no matter what players were on the team, no matter, uh, how many games were won, no matter where the draft picks fell, it was clear that the number one issue for this team was culture. And that was the number one thing that needed to be addressed going forward. And I think there, the sons have taken a lot of heat for what Some of the moves that were made in the offseason, the TJ Warren trade, the Josh Jackson dumping, who's now in the G League. Uh, But I think overall, I thought what was important for what James Jones was at least attempting to do is that he was attempting to value culture over everything else and trying to rebuild that culture going forward. And I think you're starting to see at least the foundation of that or of what they're attempting to do. And I, I do appreciate that you're, you're, you're recognizing it, but I also like that you're maybe not necessarily dubious of it yet, but at least saying that it, it takes time, I think, to, to actually develop that kind of culture.
1: Yeah, exactly. I just think that this is not something where... I've heard everything as far as a media day with a new coach because we've had a lot of new coaches on media day. So I've heard (laughs) every version of of this type of we're establishing a culture here. This stuff's not going to fly, but it seems just a little bit different this time. I'm just, of course, not going to be the person who writes the thing and says the Phoenix Suns are going to be in the playoffs by 2020 and they will win an NBA championship in four years just based (laughs) off of that because no one who's been around the Suns long enough can say that. But I think the best way for me to kind of explain my thoughts on today and yesterday is that you you should be optimistic about the Suns. If you're looking at the team and saying, oh, boy, like, I don't know if they're going to win 25 games this year. I, I think you actually should think that. And I think you should not feel dumb if you think they're going to win 30 or 35, which I would not have said like three weeks ago. But it seems like everything is churning in the right direction for now. I really like that they have Devin Booker, too. I think he's one of the 25 best players in the NBA. So I, that helps too. It, it, all this thing, all these things are going right. No, by the way, they have a guy who's might make an All NBA team next year.
3: I wouldn't call anyone dumb for thinking the Suns are going to win thirty or thirty-five games. That's my expectation too. Uh, but I'm just glad that we're talking about those dubious outcomes a little bit. Like you know, we have to think about it because ultimately DeAndre in the piece you published today, Kellen DeAndre did say one thing that. I'm not going after him, but it didn't sit quite right with me. He he talked about this thing of finally someone's watching me, uh, referring to a guy like Aaron Baines and being able to learn from him. And I think it's a little bit of revisionist history because I know it's easy to go after guys like Trevor Reza and Ryan Anderson and look at the fact that they didn't care on the court last year, look at the fact that they played like crap. That's all true. I'm not a fan of those guys. I'm not defending those guys. However, I want to take us back to last year. September 28th, 2018, Kellen Olsen posts an article to ArizonaSports.com, takeaways from Suns training staff and Flagstaff.
1: Yeah, let's go.
3: He he gets a quote from DeAndre Ayton talking about Tyson Chandler, Trevor Reza, and Ryan Anderson. Specifically, he says, quote, those guys, they're full of wisdom. They help us a lot on the court when we're confused, and it's like they know where we're lost on the floor. They come over and talk to us and tell us about it, make us more comfortable So, you know, maybe that fell apart after uh, training camp. But the point is, either he's kind of lying there, he was lying a year ago, and actually those guys weren't doing their jobs, and and DeAndre was kind of just paying lip service to that idea, or he's sort of just paying lip service to us now and, and, you know, exaggerating the extent to which nobody was watching him last year. So I, I think it's important that we just keep that in mind that, you know, you can... Examine it any way you want, but a lot of the stuff that does come out on media day, a lot of the stuff that the players talk about to the reporters is kind of just fluff. And what we choose to do with it is, you know, our decision.
1: Right. Yeah, I I think I was hoping and I have learned over the past two weeks that my thing with DeAndre is he says a lot of stuff. And as you just eloquently covered, he says a lot of stuff that contradicts himself. I, I love it. I love how open he is, and I love how honest he is. Now, how much does that actually line up with what's actually happening? As you just said, it's it's not always the case. But my approach with DeAndre has been, here's what he said. He said it. it, That's what he's saying. So when he goes out and says, my born and raised natural position is power forward. Here's what it is. He said it. (laughs) That's it. You do not need to overreact to this. You do not need to think that he's playing power forward. And I thought like everyone had a pretty cool understanding of that. But of course, everyone overreacts and is ready to burn down buildings, thinking that him and Aaron Baines are going to start opening night together. <laughs> and then once everyone sees the video with the full context, it turns out that it's actually just nothing. Which is what I thought too. But I just think it's kind of interesting that the franchise center thinks that he's a born and raised power forward. That's all I was really <laughs> trying to say there. And with with that quote today, again, it was the same thing where I didn't present any context because there wasn't any context necessary because that's something that DeAndre said. I mean, today he also said like the league isn't ready yet for him to play the four and that he's a beast at the four. I'm not going to like tweet that out or anything today, but it, <laughs> he just says a lot of things. He, DeAndre, you says should a lot have because that yes, you yeah, should just to burn people down and yeah, whatever. Um, it would have set off son's Twitter. People need for to sure. get used to. I'm it. surprised.
2: <laughs> that's just how he talks. It's how he gets interviewed.
1: It's strange for fans who follow the teams in such a diehard way to not understand how the players are. Like I'm sure you two know, Book is really good at talking to the media. I love talking to Book, and I love when we Mm. get him to talk about basketball and stuff. But he is very good at saying what he needs to say, not saying more, not saying less. And he's just been extremely polished from the get-go. Mikel is the one of the funniest basketball players I've ever been around. But when you put a microphone in front of him or talk to him, It's very by the book. It's very not even saying that much at all. Like he, he just needs to learn how to open up more. That's not a criticism of him. He can choose to talk how he wants or whatever. But, but I'm just saying guys are different with talking to the media. And I, and I thought some people understood that with DeAndre, but, but to your point, Sam, I completely agree that at a certain point here, it is going to become an issue, but it's not something that I am going to put a spotlight on. It's just more of here's the latest thing DeAndre said today and. I I guess I should start putting a disclaimer on it and saying, hey, you know the 21-year-old number one overall pick we have? He says a lot of stuff, and here's the latest thing that he said. (laughs) But I I completely agree. I I think Nash phrased it as revisionist history with that quote from today, and and I it's it's, something along those lines.
3: Yeah, it it is revisionist history, but I just want to clarify, I'm not going after DeAndre at all. I really don't care about the fact that he contradicts himself. I just wanted to point out, I guess, that we can't just gush over the fact that we have all these veterans now because the players talk about it in training camp because we did that last year. And look at, look at how that turned out. You know, I think the circumstances are a little bit different. I think James Jones did a good job of actually getting veterans who are still capable basketball players and can still positively contribute on a basketball court. So that's something to look forward to. But there is a pessimistic uh, part of me that is going to think about how many times we've been burned over the past several years.
2: And I think that it's actually to Monty's point about not expecting DeAndre Ayton to be a leader just yet because I think that maybe if you draft him number one overall, yes, you hope that he's going to be a leader right away, but I, I don't think that we've seen anything so far in what he's done in the last year that says that he's capable of being a leader right now. And I think part of that is being drafted to the Suns, an organization without any sort of established leadership year over year that you have to kind of... Leadership is leadership learned. It's not always just some natural thing that people have. It has to be taught and has to be learned. And I don't think he's had an opportunity to learn that with the Suns and expecting him to be a leader going forward is expecting maybe a little too much. But I do actually want to talk about Monty and what he's talked about. I think one of the biggest things... For this offseason so far is speculation on what this team's going to look like when it is coached by Monty Williams. And I think Media Day gave us some interesting quotes and some interesting things that were said by Monty and by James Jones and by some of the players about what to expect from this. And I think Monty talked a lot about everyone needs to shoot threes. Uh, He talked a lot about getting out of the way of Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio and allowing them to be uh, sort of free. Uh, the, the interesting thing, I think, to a lot of these quotes is that it contradicts a lot of what we expected from Monty Williams when he last <laughs> was a head coach. So I think there's, I think there's a little, there's an element of him saying, "I've changed and things are going to be different in how I coach this team going forward." And there's part of me that says, "Okay, w- cool," and there's part of me that says, "Prove it." What were your impressions from what Monty and James Jones said and the players about how this team is going to look going forward and and when they're actually playing on the court?
1: Right. Yeah, I think it's funny you said that because I kind of uh, agreed. It was like hearing him talk about DeAndre Ayton as a trailer shooting threes. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I watched like I watched quite a <laughs> bit of the Anthony Davis tape from uh, playing under Monty, and it was just that was not the type of thing that I expected from him. Um, man, I just I don't I don't know how to really. So the, the main philosophical thing that we can hear, because I don't think we're getting X's and O's stuff right now, is that he is going to let Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker kind of figure it out in terms of who's going to handle the ball more. He didn't say he's going to designate a certain guy somewhere or getting certain touches allocated to guys. Uh, he said that Ricky is going to have the ball more naturally, which, of course, he's the point guard. But those two guys are just going to figure it out themselves. And I completely agree with a philosophy like that. But but I think that puts more on the shoulders of maybe not Ricky because Ricky's just used to getting everyone the ball, but maybe Devin. And, and Devin's going to be in a spot now where with Kelly in the starting five, and I think this is going to be something you guys have probably talked about a lot the past season. We're going to talk about a lot the next season or two, is the balance of Mikel's skills or Cam's skills versus Kelly and Kelly just being a more traditional scorer. So now that's another mouth to feed in there, so to say. He's more of a guy who... Finds it in other ways. Like TJ was never a guy he had to really draw up plays for necessarily to get him to get him his buckets or whatever. And I think Kelly is kind of the same way. But Devin kind of picking and choosing when he is going to be point book, quote unquote, even when Rubio is on the floor, and just getting other guys involved is going to be interesting to see him feel out that flow isn't it stupid how he has to get good at another thing it's like hey you got good at the point book you got really good at <laughs> the shooting guard thing now be the point guard while you're being the shooting guard but that's kind of what he's going to have to be here when rubio they're going to run plays for book obviously and run the offense around him but it's he seems so okay with me and maybe this is just me buying into the the rubbish or whatever but he seems so okay with taking like 12 shots a game as long as i win i just don't get the vibe from him that he cares about scoring twenty. Or 30 points a game. And I think that that's really going to be tested on this team and is probably going to be for the better of the team. But I'm just saying on those positions where Ricky's really getting DeAndre involved and then Devin has the ball, it's like, okay, is someone going to get Kelly the ball because Devin's going to have to do that? Or is Dario going to get a touch at the elbow at least so he can touch the ball for the first time since he caught that corner three to four minutes ago? You know what I mean? That's the type of dynamic that (laughs) Monty is going to have to juggle with eventually. And for now, it seems like he is, okay with letting the players figure it out which is fine and I think Devin can do it I think he can he can really do anything offensively in my opinion he's he's such an amazing player and Ricky obviously can do it too but where does he step into that uh really uh equation I guess is the best way to put it
3: yeah I, th- I think most teams end up uh having plays break down and, and really defaulting to a sort of free, flowing offense uh, for a lot of possessions for any of them. And the Suns are actually in a good position where Rubio and Booker are such good playmakers respective to their positions that they'll they'll be fine figuring it out. Like neither one of them is too young. They have a decent amount of NBA experience. They'll be fine. I think where Kelly comes into this, interestingly enough, is like Kelly is kind of the one guy out of this team's maybe top seven. Yeah, I would say top seven players who like kind of isn't a good playmaker and really needs to work on that. But what Monty was saying is he wants to push the pace. Like, again, it kind of contradicts what we were expecting out of him. If Kelly's going to be the one grabbing the defensive rebound, like he wants him to push and go and like not have to worry about setting up a play and bog down the offense the entire time. So if Kelly has and I don't know if this is something he's worked on, but if this is something he's worked on this offseason where he's worked on his decision making and he's worked on his ability to push in transition, it's potentially a thing where Kelly gets his offense through transition and playmaking and running the floor and and potentially even getting the rebound himself and then just immediately going down the floor um and and there aren't going to be as many half court plays called for him as there were last year uh but i still think he should be able to find some touches in the flow of the offense for sure
1: um uh, it it seems like a lot of the so we talked about like being dubious and hesitations looking at how their philosophies are aligned like we talked about like 15 minutes ago. I wonder, is this group just going to mesh together as a basketball unit well enough because they have all these, everyone is coachable. Everyone is smart on the floor. Everyone is working hard and has the right habits, but is that actually going to have them still mesh as a basketball team? I think that's the one thing in the balance of the team. And when we were done with free agency, it was like how ah, they could use more athleticism. I don't know. Like, like Frank and checker or, find players or whatever, but it seems like they needed another wing or they need more shooting. And it's, You're looking at the bounce and everything. It's like, okay, maybe they're relying too much on this guy for minutes here. Um, I'm just curious to see how it all comes together. But I think from a structural positioning like of where they are right now, it seems like they're in a good spot. But it, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up Kelly in that way because I think he's improved every year. But for him to specifically do things in this on this team, he's going to have to play through defense first. He said he wants to make all defense. I mean, that's media day one-on-one. Of course, he wants to make all defense. Everyone wants to make all defense. Wow. Um, I I just wonder where he factors in if he's not a guy. Maybe if he's, what if he's only averaging like twelve points a game? You know, is he still going to be a really effective player for them like he was last year? Um, there's a couple guys like that on this team. Dario, same thing. What's it going to look like for him? Um, And then Ricky to an extent, too. I think DA and Book will be fine. But the new guys and how they exactly fit in themselves individually, there's some bounce back there, I think.
2: We got a new sponsor this week and one that I'm really excited about. It's Indochino. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. You know the difference it makes when you're wearing something that actually fits you right And Indochino can help you with that. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, and coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements. One of the worst things you can do is wear something that does not fit you right. Regardless of your size, if you're wearing clothes that don't fit you right, it's not going to look good. And the best part about this is that it's affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and your package will be delivered to you within a few weeks after you submit your measurements. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. That's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuses to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Go to Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the right choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com, the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Right now, Timeline listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Blue, B-L-U-E, that's ShipStation.com, offer code Blue, ShipStation, make ship happen. One of the interesting things I've noticed about Media Day is how on the same page everyone appeared to be. Everyone who was talking who was not Ricky Rubio, DeAndre, Devin Booker, made sure to talk about those three guys and how they fit around them. And that gave me a good impression of just guys understanding where they're supposed to fit in and also understanding the sort of hierarchy this team, the entirety of this team, in our opinion, as we've talked about on this podcast is built around the strengths of Devin Booker and DeAndre. And and the ceiling of this team is basically the ceiling of those two guys going forward, I think. And a lot of that has to do with that. And Kelly Oubre, I think it's interesting that you talked about him and and where he fits in. I think this is one of the smart things about that contract being the the two-year deal that it is for multiple reasons. One, he has to fit in the way, if he wants to remain on this team in the future, it's a short contract. So he's got to make a good impression in, in a short period of time. But the other part of it is, if Cam Johnson plays his way onto the court and Mikhail Bridges, it's hard for me to picture any lineup on this team that is not made better by Mikhail Bridges being on the court. And if Mikhail Bridges just cannot be stopped from being on this team, he becomes somewhat of a trade asset around the trade deadline if the team actually looks uh, to make some moves to try and improve. Um, Not to say that Kelly Oubre could not find a place on this team because clearly he can and he has some skills that would be very good on this team, but I do find it interesting that 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 contract is a movable contract. He becomes a player that can actually be uh, someone that's moved if they're looking for that but he's out right now. Uh, you, you actually tweeted about this. He's having some problems with his right hand and also bridges was out uh, from some sort of unknown injuries so far. And that means that cam Johnson was playing with the ones today. So some lineups with cam Johnson and how did he look out there? What was your first impression of him at training camp?
1: God, that's the thing I hate about this day is that like, I don't know. <laughs> I saw him run through like an eight second <laughs> set of them and jog down the floor and shoot free throws. And, I posted the slow mo video of him shooting a three and captioned it "art" because his shot form is art. Um, but I think that when these guys scrimmage and when there's the open practice on Sunday, I don't know if you guys are going to be there or not. But I'm—he's like one of the two or three guys where, it, to me, if I had to pick two guys I'm most interested in from now until like the seventh or eighth game of the season, beyond the top top names and just looking beyond the first four guys on the roster, I would probably say Dario and then and then Cam. I think they're the two guys I'm looking at the most that have a chance to either just seamlessly fit into what they need exactly because of the shooting concerns on this team. And then also the other chances that they don't fit in right away and they actually need someone else in those spots or or more so with Cam, it would be that he isn't. Uh, what they need right now, or he just isn't ready yet. Specifically, they can't find minutes for him. Whatever the case is with him, he's he's really fascinating to where exactly he's going to fit on the spectrum.
2: You brought up Dario Saric there, and what Dario Saric was pretty interesting. I didn't feel like there was a lot talked about Dario Saric from Media Day. And uh, what what is your impression of how he's going to fit on this team? It's, it's been kind of an interesting career, of course, for Dario Saric. He was drafted relatively high by the Philadelphia 76ers, stashed for a while, joined the team, seemed to be a big part of that team, and ended up being one of the biggest pieces to bring Jimmy Butler in. Seemed relatively unhappy in Minnesota with his role. Uh, how do you think he's going to fit on this team going forward? It seems like the more we think about it here the more we think he could be a major piece for this team uh, going forward. Do you agree with that? Or or what do you think it's going to be like for Dario? Uh,
1: I really agree. I'm super biased because Dario is one of, I don't know if you guys keep track of your 15 favorite players in the league or whatever. I don't like have a number on it, but (laughs) he's just a guy when I watch him and every time I watch him and I turn on the Philly game or Minnesota recently in the past year, I'm like, Oh cool. I can watch Dario. Dario is one of my favorite players to watch in the league. He plays with a, relatable goofiness kind of like Jokic where he's kind of stumbling a bit when he's attacking the basket but it works and he just I watched back a lot of his assists on draft night and I just he made the extra pass every single time it was it was nuts just watching him have an open look but make the next pass and he just seems like exactly what they want uh and if, of course, if that is provided that he's a 37, 36% three-point shooter, which I think he can be, and he's tough. He, he is not, he's actually the opposite of the the soft mantra that the guys put on the the stereotype of European players. It's actually the opposite where you have those European guys where You're like, oh, that dude's tough. Like Baines is an example, obviously not European, but Australian. And, and to me, Sarge fills in that label as well. And, and I just think that he is a guy that people like playing with, his style specifically. Now, how does he enter this, this situation, though, is a huge thing. And I actually, it was one of those weird things during media day. They had the players talking to, next to each other sometimes. I couldn't hear him when he was talking, but we talked to him for over 15 minutes. So I'll have something up at some point on how he feels because he was asked a lot of questions about how exactly this transition is going, third team in three years, that type of thing. Uh, but to me, if he can land here comfortably and kind of fill in the way that Aaron Baines has been talking just in like a, I'll do what makes everyone else better and wh- whatever they need from me, I'll do that. I'm not looking to come here to diversify my game or anything because he's an interesting stage in his career, right? And we mentioned the whole team thing, but he's only 25 and he's coming into restricted free agency next year. So he could be looking at this opportunity maybe like Kelly did last year where he's looking to put up numbers. He has a situation to really... Diversify his game. Kelly scored and playmaked more than he ever did in his career before here last year. Is that how Dario's looking at this, or is he going to be more of a plug and play, just filling in the gaps type of guy that they need him to be? But the bottom line is he, he only makes $3 million and he's going to be a starting caliber power forward for them. I'm not sure if he's going to be a good one, but even if he's just below average and one of the 25 or 30 best power forwards for $3 million, especially with how handcuffed they were in certain situations this year with money. I thought it was their best move of the offseason, getting him and trading down five spots. Now that is with no context of, oh crap, Jared Culver just made his third all-star team in twenty twenty-three or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that, that might not be good. <laughs> um, but for the short term thinking, I I really, really do like it and really like Dario. And I, I tweeted when when the Suns got Kelly, I tweeted, like, y'all are gonna like this guy. He's super tough and has that Manu thing where you absolutely loathe playing against him uh, when, he's, when you're with your team. But when he's on your team, you love him. And I think Dario is not really hateable necessarily, but just that guy that you're going to love. He's the homie. If people don't know, that's his nickname, the homie, and he's just a homie. I, I love him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited to see, like Ubre Suns fans pick up on him and just really understand the nuances of his game and – and come to like him because I think they will.
3: Yeah, I'm not really concerned with his talent at all. You basically hit the nail on the head for how I feel about it too. I'm just concerned with keeping him happy and what his role is going to be within the flow of the offense. And uh, Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to figure out. But otherwise, you echoed all of my sentiments about Dario completely.
2: Okay, last thing for you, Kellen, and then we'll let you go. I do want to ask you about how you feel about the starting lineup going forward. Now, of course, we did talk about it. um, The expectation and based on how Monty talked about uh, the team going forward, it's going to be Ricky Rubio, it's Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric, and DeAndre Ayton. Of course, they talk a lot about competition and how important it is to actually compete for your spot um, on this team going forward. But do you feel like that that's the best look for this team going forward? I know everyone. a lot of people have opinions on uh, Mikael Bridges and where he should fit on this team. What do you think about? is the best option and, and, and how this team is going to work going forward?
1: Well, Sorry, in terms of just guys competing for time?
2: Yeah, or what do you think is the best look? Do you think that Kelly Oubre is the best in that starting lineup? Do you think that Mikael Bridges is a better look going forward? Or do you think that it's possible for those two to play together and maybe uh, Dario Saric moves to the bench?
1: Oh man, maybe if you asked me this question like five years ago, when I was more uh, ignorant to um, to the dynamics of a team and like how much guys make matters and, and things like that, but just from what I've been told and. And things like that like the guy making 15 million dollars a year is gonna start like that's just that's what's gonna happen now people are gonna point <laughs> to Tyler Johnson and how much money he makes and say like well he's not starting and it's a different deal entirely they they signed Kelly themselves to this extension Mikel's only in his second year Mikel has certain parts of his game that work better off the bench you look at the way that he could gel with guys like Ty and cam I think he has an obvious connection with those two guys and Tyler Johnson too I, I really liked the Tyler Johnson, Mikael Bridges minutes last year. I'm not sure if those lined up in terms of net rating and everything, but those two together were pretty good in my opinion. Um, just seemed to vibe off each other really well, and just the way their basketball souls, if you will, well, I went really deep there. <laughs> just kind of, just kind of meshed well. Um, but I, I think the five of Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Sarich, Ayton is is the five. Uh, I, I kind of want to boot it to both of you guys here. What do you think of how much or how little? rubio and booker need to be um staggered how much of the time can they afford with one of those guys off the court it obviously depends on how good tyler and ty are as ball handlers but i think there's a lot going there that like these are two of the three most important players and they should kind of have one of them on the floor at all times right i think that's the direction i'm going
2: i think that's absolutely necessary because uh, it's actually kind of an interesting thing with the backup guards that are on this team with Tyler Johnson and Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome's six foot five. Now, of course, he is a point guard and he clearly plays point guard. And I think that's his most natural position. But because of his size, he kind of fits next to either one of those guys. He can actually play with Ricky Rubio and he can actually play with Devin Booker. And I think one of the advantages of even though it was sort of a lost year, by all standards of wins, I guess is the best way to look at it from last year. I think the development of Devin Booker is so important Uh, last year in his playmaking that we are now kind of afforded the ability to play him without Ricky Rubio in some lineups. And I think they're going to start the game together. And I think there's a chance that they close the game together a lot. But I think in some scenarios, there is a chance that they don't. I think that there's a there's a scenario where uh, Devin Booker is at the one and maybe we need Mikhail Bridges in there at the two and his size maybe to even guard some of the teams with really good point guards in, in some closing lineups. But I think that the, the likelihood is that that's staggered a lot because uh, it's necessary. And I actually think that's something that will be a good look for the team. And it's kind of nice to have a scenario where you need to stagger some guys, right? Or we look at the team and actually like these these guys are both good. Maybe we should find a way to make them play off of each other. That's kind of it. Sounds like that's kind of where you're leaning going forward, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, Ricky, Ricky is the most fascinating player for this team in the next two years, probably besides DeAndre by default. Because if, if Ricky is if James Jones, actually said he believes that this is Ricky Rubio playing at his peak. Like He watched him in, in play for Spain. He was like, this is a guy that's reaching the peak of his powers right now. If that's the case and they get two years of prime Ricky Rubio, then they're going to be in a really, really good spot going forward. Like, I, And I'm saying regardless of how well DeAndre develops, I think this still all rides on how great DeAndre is. But if Ricky Rubio's the really good version of Ricky Rubio for, for the next two years, I think that him being that important is only going to help them and only going to help Booker and the team the team as a whole, but but if he's stagnating in his career pretty early, the trajectory gets kind of wonky and then you're really relying on guys like DeAndre and Mikel to step up more in terms of the overall balance of the team. And now you're wondering, okay, is Ty ready to start? Is he is the rookie or second year version of Ty Jerome ready to get in there? It, it, I don't think that's going to happen with Ricky. I think it's more likely that they're going to get a really good version of him, at least in the first year and probably in the second year too. But he is the most um Bender break kind of player, but I'm it's interesting that you brought up like potential trades because that's kind of the thing that I haven't really been thinking about at all. But I mean, they got Tyler Johnson because he was an expiring contract, they could move this year. That's the main reason they got him. So, wondering where he could be factored in, and of course, like Kelly and Mikel. It's kind of weird to look at this team and finally see a Suns team that has come together and has a sense of these guys at this position in this role. Everything on there seems really figured out for this team. Yet we're not kind of, I feel like at least me, I'm overlooking the possibility of a trade because of that.
2: Well, here's here's my thought on it. And I think we may have lost Sam, so sorry, Sam. But <laughs> here's my thought on it. It's This team did, I think, a good job of filling out talent around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. But what they avoided this summer uh, in all aspects is essentially... In, upping the star power of this team and what I mean by that is there, there was no real look at D'Angelo Russell and trying to improve by adding another star to this team they they're basically content with saying the stars on this team are Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton we're going to build this team with these guys here and then potentially make some trades using a guy like Tyler Johnson or uh, creating some cap space next year to try and fill it out there. But I do think that there was no real intention of trying to like add a star. And I, th- I think that that's an interesting gamble And I think it's the reason that you look at this team and you say, well, the the ceiling is 30, 35 wins, probably. Uh, If things go really well, maybe they can get up to 40 or close to 500, but that's like at the very high end of expectations on this team going forward. So you look at that and you say, okay, so they didn't add stars, but that's something that they might have to do. And I'm not saying that DeAndre Ayton or Devin Booker aren't good enough to be the stars on this team, but I think if you want to look at a higher ceiling in the future and you want to actually look at the playoffs, then you're going to have to start thinking about adding another really, 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 really great basketball player at maybe Devin Booker or or DeAndre Ayton's level or what we hope to be DeAndre Ayton's level. I think a lot of it depends on how he develops going forward. So I think for me, I guess part of it is I look at this previous offseason, I look at the sort of avoidance of adding a start and it's hard for me to not think about ways to improve long-term because we're looking at likely a 35-win season and we're going to have to talk about the playoffs at some point. So I guess it's hard for me to not think about uh, how to improve uh, from that level going forward. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I think maybe they're they're probably putting a lot of stock into next year's free agency or future free agencies because they did make some nice moves in free agency this year. And maybe they think they can see some players who could make a big difference in the future. But I don't know. It's hard for me to think about. I mean, 35 wins, right? Does that seem like the ceiling to you, Kelly?
1: Oh, man. Um, so DeAndre's development is so volatile that I don't think like I think 40 wins is the ceiling because he is so immensely... De- do you remember that clip I tweeted? And, and not like the clip I tweeted specifically, but more just a moment that... I think it was the Lakers game where he got a loose ball defensively and then started dribbling up the court and then he drew a foul. Just seeing him dribble in the upper yeah. court, and I was like, my yeah. God, we never really saw him do that in college except yeah. once. His ceiling is so unclear. I just don't get where it really ends. And I I've said like on pre-draft podcasts like as one of like the five best centers of all time, because just how immensely talented and skilled he is. So look, if, if Deandre is an all-star, which look, he could be in his second year. I'm not going to pick him to be an all-star. I don't think he's going to be an all-star in his second year, maybe in his third year, but I don't think it's happening in year two, but he could be an all-star. And then Devin could be an all NBA player. Devin has improved year after year to ridiculous extents. It's he's legitimately just not adding one or two things to his game. He's getting so much better at everything else in the process. So if if book makes an all NBA team and 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 is playing at that level at least where he's in the conversation and Deandre's in the all-star conversation and Ricky Rubio turns out to be the point guard that they needed and is playing really well and that more of these guys than not that are new faces turned out to be right additions. Like maybe Daria wasn't good, but maybe Frank's good. Or maybe Cam isn't good, but Ty is. And so on those types of things, they can win 40 games, maybe even 45. <laughs> like that's how, that's how talented Book and DA are. I don't see it happening. And I think the more realistic ceiling is somewhere around like 33 to 37. Um, I'm probably still going to pick them in the 20s just based off of being burned in the past. And especially with how good the West is this year. But that's the thing about DA specifically and book two is that those guys can make these jumps where you look at a young player going year one to year two or year 40 or five. And you just hope for that incremental improvement book has doubled or tripled what you'd hope for every year. And then DeAndre could quadruple it because of how good he is. So I'm not trying to really get people's hopes up too high, but I'm just saying it's, it's hard to quantify when you ask me.
2: Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think it's funny. We looked at the amount of minutes played last year and seeing uh, guys like Josh Jackson and uh, Jamal Crawford in the top six of minutes played last year. It's, it, it makes it even more difficult to understand how good these guys could be at their absolute peak and if they're playing around players that complement their skill sets better. I do wonder which if there's going to be an analyst out there that kind of puts it all on the line and predicts the Suns are somehow going to be above 500, uh, be, you know, just to, to reap the rewards of being right. If that does end up being, uh, you know, happening uh, and these guys really hit their peaks like Devin Booker, you, you, it's hard to even predict what his peak uh, could be. And I do appreciate your optimism, though. I do think that that's a relative, relatively optimistic take, even for optimism season what i call this kind this time of year it's it, everyone tends to be kind of overly optimistic uh, this time of year so i do appreciate that but before i let you go i do want to ask you about one more guy i know i keep saying i'm gonna let you go but i'm not yet um aaron baines we haven't really talked about aaron baines yet uh you you he's here now he's in phoenix you've got to talk to him you got to see him up close and in, in, in person what's your impression on aaron baines
1: oh man terrific timing I literally, three minutes ago, four minutes ago, just tweeted my Aaron Baines post from Flagstaff on ArizonaSports.com. And my whole point was, this is a guy who's only played 15 minutes per game in his career, yet you look at the on-off court numbers and the net ratings and stuff. And I know you and Sam are really into those types of things. Boston was so much better with him on the court. And Detroit, in his last year in Detroit, it was the same thing. Detroit was 10 points better per 100 possessions when he was on the court, which is just, that's a super high number, especially for a guy who's not really playing that many minutes. And he's a guy who averages, what, seven, eight points a game in his career, six. Uh, and he, it's because he just does all these things so well. Um, he's just one of the best screen setters in the league. And he's, I don't want to say he's one of the best rim protectors in the league, but he's one of the best instinctual rim protectors in the league because even when guys drive on him and you watch footage of guys attacking him off the dribble from 14 feet out, bigs like Jared Jackson Jr. or Bam Adebayo who are quicker than him, he just moves his feet, keeps his hands up, and if you bump him in the chest and you like stick your shoulder into him, good luck moving him, and then you have to finish over him, and guess what? His hands are up and he's going to swat at the ball. He's just really fundamentally sound and seems like such an important piece for this team, especially with how much guys are talking about him and – and, and uh, Monty and James have been talking about in the past couple of weeks and the players as well. Uh, But I just wonder how much can he truly impact this team on 16 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game. Look, if they really want to get him out there a ton, maybe they'll play him 20 minutes a game and then DeAndre will spend a couple minutes at the four here and there. But obviously the most important thing for him is to mentor DeAndre and just get... And that's the thing I wrote about is it's really funny that you've got DeAndre in here And the one thing you really want to see him clean up, at least in my opinion, I know everyone wants to see him shoot threes, handle the ball, do all that stuff, whatever. I just want to see him get really good at center stuff. And Aaron Baines is excellent at center stuff. He's really good at protecting the rim and he is tremendous at setting screens. And if that can just rub off on DeAndre just a little bit, he is going to just be a huge, huge problem. Like, Forget if he's falling asleep on defense every now and then or he's inconsistently impacting games. But if he's like just a really good screen setter, and he's a good rim protector. Adding in the points and the rebounds, you've got like an all-star caliber player. So that's where you hope Baines fits in. And it's 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 weird because he's 32. He's on an expiring contract, and it it kind of felt like I, I was wondering if he was even just an afterthought of that trade. Knows more about getting Ty Jerome, but the sense is that that trade was maybe even more about getting Aaron Baines than it was about getting Ty Jerome. So I, I think that anyone who is maybe feel like they're overrating or overstating his importance on this team, maybe you're being. A little bit light on that but I mean my my disclaimer with everything from training camp and everything from media day is that this is the time of the year I mean Sam referenced something I wrote last year you can also find my Ryan Anderson piece last year where I was like hey look at Ryan Anderson he can shoot and dribble and stuff and then it turned out his NBA career was over and he's he's done so it's it's that time of the year but uh, I really like the addition and just talking to him and it. Back to Tyler Johnson's point, it just matters on Aiden's mentality around Baines and if he's willing to pick things up. And if he is, I think he undoubtedly will because Baines seems like the perfect guy to teach him and is saying all the right things when it comes to hoping that he will teach DeAndre.
2: Maybe I'm naive, but I think there's no chance that Aaron Baines's career is over in the same way Ryan Anderson's was. I am a little bit dubious of just because Aaron Baines is good at stuff, that all of a sudden rubbing off on DeAndre Ayton. I do think DeAndre Ayton has a lot of room for improvement, and I think that improvement will come over time. I just, I just wonder how much of that actually matters when you're playing with the guy that's a, you know, a backup to you, and how much you actually learn from that. But we'll see going forward. And I really do hope that rubs off on him. But Kellen Olsen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, covers the Suns, of course, for uh, ArizonaSports.com, ninety-eight point seven Empire of the Suns podcast, and of course, his great twitter feed i'm sure you all follow him if you don't already at kellen olson kellen is there anything else that you would like to plug
1: uh no man Uh, if you're one of the loyal listeners to 98.7 fm i'm gonna be on all three shows wednesday and thursday so if you're listening on wednesday or thursday or before then and you're listening to those shows you'll hear the kid checking in fun as always man thanks for having (laughs) me on always great to be with you guys of course of course i wish sam was alive but we murdered him
2: Yes, and I know Sam appreciates you being here too. And Kellen, of course, will be up in Flagstaff uh, all week, so make sure to follow him and check out all the stuff. Of course, you go up to Flagstaff right when the weather starts getting great here in Phoenix. But uh, thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Kellen.
1: Anytime, man. Thank you. I'm bought in, you know, from the jump, and you know, I'm just excited
2: for the season to kind of just grow with these new guys and just trying to make, it, make a name for ourselves.